So as you know, or most of you know, we've been this year and through next year, we're going to be working through a catechism. And a catechism is just a way of teaching something. If you look up catechism in the dictionary, it generally relates right to the Christian faith. But it is a way of of passing on the basic understandings of, of anything. You could have a catechism about most anything. The way that Christians have traditionally done catechisms is in a question and answer format. And this catechism is called the New City Catechism, and it is relatively new, though it definitely takes the ancient or the old texts of catechisms and incorporates it into this new catechism. In this catechism, there are 52 questions and answers, and so that's part of the reason why I chose it, because I was thinking about 52 Sundays, and what a great way of of teaching the faith. And part of the reason why at Westminster I think this is so important is that so many of us, including myself and Jennifer, are not lifelong Presbyterians. We did not grow up in a Presbyterian church. We did not grow up steeped in Reformed theology necessarily. All those sorts of things. We, we you know, again, like I've said before, we're, we're recovering Catholics and, and we're, you know, modulating Methodists and we're bad Baptists. And so, so this is one of the reasons why we're, we're working through this catechism. And what I've said to you is that we don't, as Shirley Guthrie, who was a teacher in the Reformed Church for many, many years, said in his book, Basic Christian Doctrine, we do not worship doctrine. We worship a living God. And so I want us to remember that always when we're, especially as we move into other things that will probably be even more challenging than some of the things we've been talking about because we've been sort of staying with creation and sort of who God is. We worship a living God. And we as Presbyterians are always seeking to understand God better and better because God gave us minds with which to explore God and to enjoy God and to give glory to God. So question five in this catechism is, what else did God create? Last week we talked about human beings primarily. What else did God create? And the answer is, of course, God breathed, God created, forgot my glasses, God created all things by his powerful word, capital W, word, and all God's creation was very good. Are you, are you hearing scriptures? Good job. Yeah, very good. And then we snapped. How about that? See, we can learn. All his creation was very good and everything flourished under God's loving rule. So you hear right there, you hear, hear lots of resonance with the scripture in that answer. I want you to think about God's creation for a moment. Most of the time, and in the scripture, we we often talk about heaven and earth. Sometimes we get into the stars. But for those of us in this postmodern age, we know a little, we think we know at least a little more about the heavens and the earth. It's been posited that there are a hundred thousand million stars just in the Milky Way. A hundred thousand million. I can't even wrap my head around those numbers, but now think about this. 
Most of them, we believe, are more than 100 light years away from the earth. Anybody know how far a light year is? Six trillion miles. So just it, it's it's a fun thing, and when Jennifer teaches like middle schoolers, like she likes to do this thing with like you know a hundred, a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million. Like you can sort of wrap your head around those numbers. But a billion is a number that's really hard to wrap your head around, and I don't have the metaphor, but it is on a scale that just would blow your mind, the difference between a million and a billion, and then you take a billion and you go to a trillion. It's, it's a long way, as they say. It's a far piece. So I want you to just imagine and maybe remember a night when you were out and you were away from the noise pollution that we have in our cities, and you were out under the stars, and it was a clear night. Or maybe you went to an observatory, or, and you just got to see the sky filled with stars. You didn't see. You saw an infinitesimal speck of God's creation. It's literally mind-blowing how amazing this creation is. And yet within the earth, anyway, there's this great controversy, isn't there, about creation and creationism. Because right? people want to argue, at least in my mind, that you know, the Bible is some sort of science textbook and that the earth is only X number of years old and that all these kinds of things about this, this dichotomy between science and faith, perhaps, and wanting to prove that the Bible somehow is factually correct in the way that it talks about time and science in the way that we understand it. And I love, again, I'm gonna go, I'll go back to Shirley Guthrie, because he writes that writers of the Bible or those who were sharing this creation story were not so much concerned with how we got here, but why we're here. And with whom we're in relationship with in this creation. Who the creator was. And what's really awesome is to think about this story of creation and how God creates, the God that we understand creates, is God does not create, and I think I talked about this a little bit last last week, in many of the stories of creation from ancient times and many of the stories, there is an inherent dualism. There's violence. There's a ripping apart of a God who then becomes the heaven and the earth. There's, there's this eternal struggle between the eternal forces of evil and the eternal forces of light and that that's how the heavens and the earth are made because there's this struggle between them. There's a dualism between the spiritual and the material so that the earth and the flesh is bad and that everything having to do with God and the spirit is wonderful and good. This is not part, really, of the creation story that we have. God creates ex nihilo, from nothing, and creates in a generative way. 
Not in a tearing apart kind of way. Yes, God separates some things, right? To put them in their place. But it is a building up, not a tearing down. I think that ought to be instructive for us. Because it's really easy for us in our minds, especially the way that we're taught in school and since the enlightenment, to, to put things into their boxes and to separate things and this is good and that is bad and one thing doesn't look like another. And, and that can be helpful. But oftentimes I think even, even in the Christian faith we begin to listen to this dialectic, this, this, this dualism of good and evil. This is bad, that is good. As we listen to the creation story, what is the... Refrain? It was good. And even tov mi'od in the Hebrew, very good. And so as we embrace what God has created, which includes you and me and every human being, We can live into this understanding that the God that we understand, this this Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of whom you cannot separate their work, remember, we're all present in this creation. John 1 reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and we believe that this is referencing Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was created without the Word being present. That this Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are present in this creation and in the sustaining of this creation. And one of the things that we struggle with is, I think, in our way of understanding God in this way is, you know, we create this theism. We believe in God, but we we believe in a sort of in a theism sometimes where God is separate from the creation in this way, where where God set it up, and we might call it the watchmaker kind of God. You know, God, God made the world spun it up and just said, okay, go, and has nothing to do with it. That's not strict theism, by the way. That's a way of thinking about it. And then there's pantheism, which is that everything is God. And that can lead you to sort of this earth worship, right? That you worship the tree, you worship the grass, you worship the wolf, you worship the whatever. That everything is God. You worship other human beings. You worship these things. That God is inherently in and everything is God. Then there's panentheism. Now we're really getting you into the Greek here. Panentheism, where everything is in God. Meaning that God creates within God's self. Now we're really getting theoretical for you. You really wanted this. You hope you got some coffee. God creates within God's self space for the creation, in a sense. Martin Luther said that in the Holy Communion that Christ is in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Just like Christ is in, with, and under my cabbage. This is sort of a a little nod to panentheism almost. God is in, with, and under all things. And all of these things have something to teach us about God. They don't encapsulate perfectly how we understand God. Because we have to try to negotiate this thing that, that God is above it all, in a sense. Not literally, but if we want to use that language. God is sort of above it all. Separate, providential. Right? But God is also eminent, meaning God is present and within and working with us 
drawing us along in this creation. And we believe that this God is a God of love, that this God is a benevolent, loving God. In the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we see this great love played out on the earthly stage in the most powerful way possible. And as we come to think of God in this way, we can move into a way of believing because I think it becomes easy and in many religions to separate out whether we're pursuing a spiritual life. Well, we would say that a spiritual life includes this, this temporal life and that temporal life is good. That we are called to engage with this, not separate ourselves from it, but to engage with the world, to engage with the creation, to engage with it, to bring about love and hope and grace in the ways that we can, to to be channels for it as we believe that God is the source and the ultimate source of it, that we don't give up on the world, that we don't give up on other people, because God doesn't give up on the world, and God does not give up on other people. Yes, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, but that is not now, and that is not here. God is renewing us day by day, the scripture says. And so here are some, so I'm going to paraphrase Shirley Guthrie again. One, God, the Trinity, is the ultimate source and sustainer of the universe. Two, this means that the world and creaturely life in it is good. And that three, here, and here's the big one, that we need not fear anything in the world or give our ultimate loyalty to anything in the world. Not fear anything in the world, or give our ultimate loyalty to anything. We shouldn't be worshiping, right? We shouldn't be worshiping the grass, the trees, the wolf. We shouldn't be worshiping any ideology. We shouldn't be worshiping any human being. But to give God... Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, our ultimate worship. And so how does this work out for us? I mean, what are the implications here? Well, the implications are that we have to slow our roll a little bit when we get all carried away, especially with our political ideologies, especially in this time. We are so sure that we are right about whatever it is that we are thinking, that it almost turns into a perverse form and it really becomes an idolatry. I don't know about you and I don't know if you're quote-unquote politically active, but if you're on any email list, it is like we're supposed to worship the politicians who are running for office. They are the best thing since sliced bread and if we don't give our money so that they can be in office, then the world is going to implode tomorrow. Well, aside, I encourage you to be politically active because we're supposed to be caring about the earth and the world. And I, and, and I think you ought to bring your faith to that. Like, like, what is it that God has to say about what is going on that leads me to grace and hope and love and working for policies and procedures that bring about that kind of, of community? Right? So, yes. But be careful because it's easy, again, it's easy to get so caught up in that that we begin to almost worship those people and those ideas in a way that we become slaves to them. And anybody who isn't with us is against us. 
and we demonize them. I don't think this is the Christian way. I don't think this is the faithful way. In some ways, following Jesus, I think, is the hardest way because we have to get humbled even about our own opinions. And if we believe that God is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer, we we are challenged to develop compassion for ourselves, but a compassion that rolls out into the world to seek to understand where people are coming from. What are they afraid of? What are they seeking to create? What are their hopes and their dreams? Because we all have them. I'm going to read to you this a paragraph from Christian Doctrine, Revised Edition. The Christian answer is, I believe in God who is the creator, preserver, ruler, renewer of heaven and earth. Quote, unquote. It goes on to say, to believe in this God is to give ourselves with confidence and hope to the struggle for the improvement of human life in this world. We can do it and we must do it because the struggle against poverty, ignorance, disease, injustice, war, and oppression is not our fight alone. It is the fight of a loving and powerful God who not only saves us at the end of time, but invites and commands us to participate in God's creating and recreating work here and now in secular history for the good of all people everywhere. As I said last week, if you're looking for your purpose in life, it's been given to you to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And that glorifying God includes loving God's creation in such a way that we work with God to do the things that God would have us do in loving God, in loving our neighbor, and in loving ourselves. And so don't think that these cutesy, fun things that we do with the creation story don't have big implications. Your faith matters. The way that we understand God, it matters in how we live our daily life, and that's why we learn about it, and that's why we get challenged by it. And we were created by a loving and benevolent and saving God. And that God is with us in Jesus. In every circumstance, in every situation. And so may we be lifted up in that knowledge as creatures of God. Amen.